Hey, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys with us today. My name is Jeff Baker. I am one of the pastors on staff here at uh, a church that I love and that I care about. Um, and God's doing some great stuff at, by the way. Um, I want to say a big hello to all of you that are worshiping with us down in the venue. I'm excited about what God's doing down there as well. Um, look forward to greeting you maybe even after the service, as well as our church that we have that is synced up with us right now live out in North Platte. And God's doing great stuff out there, guys. I mean, we've only had that church since September, and we're already averaging 115 people every Sunday. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. That's real, that's real exciting. And uh, Pastor Dave and Tiff, who are our campus pastors out there leading worship and wrapping up the service and doing all the leadership that's needed and raising up volunteers, they're just doing a fantastic job in the community of North Platte. And you need to realize that, you know, we're one church right now in three locations all at the same time. I love 2015. This is a crazy day to live in with technology. Uh, It's beautiful to be able to have all of us worshiping together in one place. So what you need to know is that you are part of something much larger today than what you even see with your own eyes. Um, God's doing great stuff around new life. It's not just about attendance. It's about salvations. Um, I mean, last week, there was a handful of people that had never given their life to Christ that said, I want to make Jesus the Lord and leader of my life here at New Life. And that's exciting. That's exciting. That's what we're about. A lot of people think the church is about taking money. Sure, you have to take an offering, but you realize that those funds are used to help people find Jesus and help people grow to find Jesus. That's what we're really about So that's what we should be excited about, and that's what this church is is doing. Every single week at New Life, we're discovering people giving their life to Jesus for the very first time. And man, I'll tell you what, that's a miracle that I want to continue. In fact, you realize, though, that that's the greatest miracle you're ever going to see. You realize that, right? I mean, we could bring somebody up on the stage, pray for them, and uh, they could be, you know, lame, they couldn't walk, and they could stand up and walk, and you would go, wow, that's amazing. But I'm telling you, what's greater than that is the person that gives their heart to Christ. That's where true power and transformation happens. That's the miracle I want to continue to see. And the day that that miracle stops is the day that Jeff Baker no longer stays. There's no purpose for me. If the church dries up and it's not seeing people come to know Jesus, you don't need a lead pastor. Why do we need leaders? We need leaders to remind us of the mission and the vision. Let me tell you how long I plan on staying around here. I plan on staying around here as long as, A, God wants me to, and B, as long as my body can stand on a stage like this because I want to keep helping people find Jesus. Amen? Amen. So let's be that kind of church. Come on. Let's be that kind of church. Let's be that kind of church. All right, so we are in our current teaching series called Essentials. All right, now today I'm going to be preaching out of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 16 and 17. It's a story you probably have never heard of right? It's a story that it's going to be the first time you've ever heard of it. So I'm so excited to be a pastor that gets to deliver to you this amazing story about this young boy and this incredible giant. It's called David and Goliath. Now, I know you've never heard of it before. So it just happens to be the most popular Bible story ever, ever. People know about David and Goliath that haven't gone to church for 25 years. So it's a challenge to teach on a story that has been around for that long. And today I'm trusting that God's Spirit's going to really open up our eyes and help us to see some fresh truth in His Word. Because that's what the teaching series is about. 
Um, we're trying to go through the top 100 stories of the Bible and just orientate our life around God and his word. In God's word, we find the character and we find the nature of God. And that's kind of where we're going. So to jump into this story, let me just kind of reflect back on some things with you and me. Um, I want you to think back on some things that once seemed like giants, but then later you look back at them and you realize they weren't giants at all. Okay, go with me for a moment. Has anybody ever, ever sled? Have you ever gone sledding in the winter? Come on, we live in the snow area. Have you ever gone sledding? For real. I mean, come on. Have you ever gone sledding? All right. Okay, good. There's a few of you that missed out on that childhood experience. I apologize for that. You can still get it the next time it snows. Find a hill, get something slick, go down it. It's amazing. All right? There's an adrenaline rush to it. Now, when I was in grade school, crazy enough as it sounds, when I was in grade school, at the grade school I went to in St. Louis, there was a large hill, and we actually got to sled during recess. Can you believe that child abuse was going on back then like that? Man, they didn't love kids back then, evidently. Um, Now, this hill was amazing, all right? Um, This hill had a name to it. Did your sledding hill have a name to it? Did it? Mine had a name to it. You know what we called it in grade school? Killer Hill. Killer Hill. Yeah. That's a good name for a sledding hill. You you know what I'm saying? The reason why it was called Killer Hill is because right in the middle of it was an electrical pole that went down it. That's why it was called Killer Hill. And so if you, if you missed that thing, you got started on the sled wrong, and you were headed towards the pole, wow, watch out. The name of the hill could come alive. So we would sit around in math class when all great fourth graders should be thinking about math, and we were thinking about Killer Hill when snow was falling and it was on the ground, and you actually got to bring your sled with you to school. Is that, I mean, come on. I'd go back to that school in a heartbeat. That's awesome. So here we are with this hill we call Killer Hill. We're sledding down it all the time. I go back as an adult to look at this hill. There is nothing killer about this hill at all, (laughs) right? It seems so intimidating when you were a kid, and it's got nothing now. Does anybody have anything like that in their life? I mean, come on. Things seem like giants. You went back to them now in your adult years, and you go, what in the world? That is so small. I thought it was huge, and now it's nothing. What about this? How about high school and college. Think back to maybe when you were, um, or if you're a junior higher in here, I apologize, but think back to when you were like freshman or sophomore in high school. And you're calculating the years it's going to take to finish high school and then to finish college before you ever really, in your terms, get to go live the real life, right? Get a job that pays good money. Have freedom. Get your own place. Get a car. It seemed like it was going to take forever. It was this giant that was never going to come. And now some of us on the backside of that, you look back on those kinds of years and what? They were like a vapor, weren't they? They went by so fast. And what's one of the big things you hear people say all the time? I wish I could go back to those years. Um, So the years that seemed like they were going to take forever, this giant just kind of diminished. There are other giants, though, that are, well, they're just real giants. Those kinds of things, they, they come and go. Killer hills and time waiting to, you know, achieve a degree. There are other giants, though, that are serious. Giants of addictions that are standing in front of us that right now some of you are facing and you're just wondering, how in the world am I going to get over this? Some of you, you have, uh, you have giants at work um, in, your, in your workplace with a boss or with a new assignment that you were given and you're just wondering, where am I going to get the wisdom or the knowledge to overcome this? Some of you have giants of sin that are just temptations 
that are just raging against you and you're wondering to yourself, is this ever going to be something I'm going to conquer? Is it ever going to be something I'm going to get through? You have giants in relationships. Some of you have giants that are just confident. Um, confidence issues that you just you just can't find the confidence to face it and get over it so there are physical giants there are emotional soulish giants and there are spiritual giants that we face all the time i remember facing a massive giant a few years ago when my 19 year old daughter came into the living room and turned the tv off and with tears in her eyes confessed to me that she was pregnant And I I remember that moment vivid, as if you could put yourself in a place where you could remember the sounds and the sights of the birds, and you could close your eyes and you could start to smell the aroma of that moment. I could picture the room. I can see myself in the room. I can see her standing before me. I can see the tears coming down her face as she began to tell me about this new giant that I'm now going to have to face. I didn't face that giant very well right off the bat. And it almost seemed at that very moment and over the next, you know, couple of months as if that was a giant that I was never going to get around. That was a giant that I was just not going to be able to overcome or that was the giant that was finally going to slay me. It was just daunting for me. I know many of you have gone through situations like that and don't you have to praise God now as you look back and I see how God over time, not immediately, oh, he wanted to immediately, but I wouldn't let him. But over time, God gave me the grace to deal with that. Over time, God gave me the compassion to deal with it. Over time, God gave me the fatherly wisdom on how to love through that moment. And you know what? I look back on that. That giant has been slain over and over again. And as we were flying back, my wife and I from Phoenix last night, we were looking at her phone, and she's flipping through these pictures You know, while we're jammed into the economy section where two people are sitting in one first-class seat. Um, And so you're really intimate right then, right? And so we're looking through the phone, and she's showing me all the pictures of my youngest daughter and her son, Aiden. And you look at him with his cute face and the smile on his face. And you just look at it, and you just go, God, I thought that was a giant. And I look back on it now, and my heart is filled with love. My heart is filled with gratitude. That God takes things that seem like giant situations, and he has the ability to break them down and destroy them right before our very eyes to help us become the people he wants us to be. You need to know today that the giants that you're facing right now, the giants you're facing are there that God's wanting you to put your, your complete trust and your faith in him because God's going to use those giants to develop his character and his nature in your life. You can't just avoid the giants in your life. It seems like you try to for a moment, you turn your back on them and you run a different direction only to find out that wherever you go, there are your giants, right? You can only get away from them for so long, but then they're there again. It's because God's going to use those to create inside of you his heart. So today I want to talk to you about David and his giant, and I want to help you learn what it means to become a giant slayer today, a giant slayer, so that your heart can look more like God's heart. And before we jump into it, some of you will notice that there's this brick wall behind me, this block wall. This teaching series, as we go through it, we're continuing to add these blocks to it. 
These blocks are representing the essential truths that you're going to hear me speak on today. Each essential truth has a block. And those essential truths are going into this wall to remind us of what God's building inside of your heart. Did you realize as you come to worship God Sunday after Sunday, that obedience to God, that God honors that? That as this word gets deposited into your obedient, listening heart, that the Holy Spirit can use those words and use those points and use those essential truths later on when you need them? That today might not be the day you need to learn about slaying the giants of your life, but next month might be. And then the Holy Spirit takes those words and he takes that truth and he, he's able to bring it back to your remembrance. And that's why with essentials, we're reading through the top 100 stories of the Bible. Can you really, can you really contain all of the details of 100 main stories of the Bible? It's, it's almost impossible to do that. But when that word gets deposited into your heart, the Holy Spirit can use it and bring it back to your remembrance to bring you the victory. So today, as we jump into this sermon, I'm going to give you three essential truths today that are going to be deposited into your heart that God can use in your future or use today to help you become the giant slayer, destroying the things that are standing between you and what God has planned and destined for your life. So let's jump in. Today it's going to be more story format. I'm just going to tell a story to you. If you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 Samuel. Um, you want to look at chapter 16. I'm going to just going to tell you the story. I've I found that adults, just like when we were children, we like stories. We still like stories. 1 Samuel chapter 16 starts out with Samuel. Samuel is the prophet of his time. He's the man, he's the vocal piece of God. He speaks God's heart to God's people, and God's people are supposed to take that, obey it, apply it, and move on. Samuel has been an essential part of the people in helping them to establish the king, King Saul at the time. And now we're going to discover that there's another king that's coming, and his name is going to be King David. So Saul has this vocal Samuel, excuse me, as this vocal piece of God to the people, God speaks to him one day and says to him, Samuel, I need to tell you, the anointing on Saul to be king has been removed. His sin has brought him to that. You can read about that in chapter 15. I have found another man, and he, I put, I'm going to put his, my anointing on him to be the king. So Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. Because in Bethlehem, you're going to meet with a father named Jesse, and this guy has sons, and one of his sons I am appointing, anointing as king. So Samuel, Samuel is like, wow, okay, well, man, I guess I'm going to go to Bethlehem. Do you guys remember anything else significant that's happened in Bethlehem? That's where Jesus is born. <laughs> right, right. Isn't it interesting? God calls David, and from David... This young man who's going to become king, from his lineage comes Jesus. So Jesus is one significant thing that happened in Bethlehem. Two weeks ago, I personally physically was in Bethlehem, and I bought this nice sweater in Bethlehem. That would be the second most significant thing that happened there. So Jesus was born, and I bought this sweater in Bethlehem. So just remember those. You might want to write that down, all right, because that might be important for the future. All right, just, just don't write that down. That was just messing around with you. So I did buy this in Bethlehem, though. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem, and he's a smart man, all right? Samuel goes, all right, so if I'm going to go there and appoint a new king, then what's going to happen if the current king hears about this? Isn't he going to want to try to kill me? <laughs> God's like, basically, uh, yeah, that's probably true. 
So here's a plan, Samuel. Since you're the prophet, why don't you go to Bethlehem and basically, in our words, hold a worship service and create a moment where you give a sacrifice and invite the leaders of the community, including Jesse and his sons, to come to it. While you're holding this service, this worship experience, then you have an opportunity to see every one of Jesse's sons, and I will speak to you and tell you which one is going to be the new king. And then, Samuel, you anoint him. That's your role. You can go back to your hometown. You're done. Thank you very much for your service. So, Samuel, that's what he does. And he stands there, and Jesse starts bringing his boys to him, from the oldest all the way down to the youngest. And seven boys come in front of Samuel. And every time one of those sons comes in front of him, God says to him, nope, not the one, not the one, not the one. All seven of them come in front of him. Now, now Samuel's like, I know I heard from God. I know I'm in the right place. I know I'm doing what God asked me to do. Jesse, come on. What are you hiding from me? You've got something else. You've got another son, don't you? And he's like, well, yeah, I, I have another son. I actually have eight sons. Um, but I didn't really think you wanted to talk to David. David's just a young boy. I mean, he, he's, he's not like a full-grown man. He's just a young kid. He's, he's out in the fields, and he's taking care of sheep right now. Then Samuel gets that stern prophet kind of look, and he says to him, you and me, we're not going to sit down until you get that youngest son of yours in this building. I want to talk to him. So they stand, and they wait. For David to come. When David walks in the door, the Bible says that as soon as Samuel saw David, the prophet saw David, this young boy, God spoke to Samuel and he said, that's the new king. Anoint him to be the king. And then the Bible says that as soon as David was anointed to be the king, this oil was poured out upon David's head, that the spirit of the Lord came upon David powerfully. So take a look at this. Here's a teenager Remember back to when you were a teenager, all right? You're doing the lowliest job you've ever had. I worked at Frank's Nursery and Crafts. Yeah, let that soak in just for a moment. It was like a Hobby Lobby with a plant store, all right? It's like, it's the, play, the worst place I would ever want to go into as an adult man right now. One day I was sitting in the car, my dad ran into the store, I saw this, this place, it was new, and I didn't have a job, so while he was in doing some small shopping, I went in, applied for a job, and got it. I mean, that's kind of how it worked. My dad comes out, I go, hey, I got a job. What? You got a job? So I'm working at Frank's Nursery and Crafts, that's my lowliest job. Now think about going from there to somebody walking in, walking up to you and going, uh, no, not you, not you, not you, yes. Ding, 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 ding. You, guess what you're going to be? You're going to be the next president of the United States. Yep, and I have the authority to give it to you. Well, so what would you do? What would you do? You're this teenager working at Frank's Nursery and Crafts. You just got told you're going to be the president of the United States. What do you do after that? Hey, where's Air Force One? That's what I would say. <laughs> Let's go. Where's the nuclear football? I always want to touch it. Just once. Come on. Let me have the nuclear football. Can I, can I make a quick call to Putin? I just want to say hi to him. I mean, I would probably do foolish things like that. David, he has to go back and herd the sheep. That's what the Bible says. He goes back and he herds the sheep. He doesn't complain. He doesn't let this king thing go to his head. That's one of the things that God loves about David. He loves the heart of David. That he doesn't let this go back to his head. So David goes back to tending the sheep. During this time, 
The current king, Saul, his anointing to be the leader is gone. It's off of him. So the stress of leading is now weighing heavy upon him. He is going into panic attacks. He is, uh, he's just overcome with all kinds of fear. You know, he's going into deep depression. So much that his servants working for him say, listen, man, we, we work for you. If you're gone, we're gone. We want you to stay in power. What can we do to help you? We think that maybe if someone would come and play a nice harp for you while you're going through these panic attacks, that might help you. Or while you're going through this fear, someone played a nice harp for you. Do you like my illustration of the harp here? This picture in your head, can you hear it? All right, so, so they go, yeah, let's do it. And, and, and the king says, sure, why not? Let's give it a shot. I mean, right now, I'm going down like a plane that's caught on fire. So let's do anything that we can. So the servant says, I know a guy. I've heard of this guy. There's this young shepherd boy who lives in Bethlehem, right? And, and this guy, he's a brave man and a warrior. This is what the Bible says in chapter 16. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well. He's fine looking. He plays the harp like no one else. I mean, when he plugs it into that amplifier and hits the distortion pedal, you've got to hear it. It's awesome. And some of the licks that he plays on that thing are amazing. But above all those things, the servant says, but the Lord is with him. The Lord's with him. And King Saul says, bring him. Isn't it interesting how when God has anointed someone how often we try to self-appoint because we sense some anointing david didn't try to self-appoint himself no one tried to self-appoint david david goes back to his lowly job humbly serving what god's asked him to do and god's the one who ends up putting him into the king's courts It's one thing to be anointed by God. It's another thing for the appointment. And there's this waiting. There's this cultivating. There's this moment. There's this right timing when God opens up a door that no man can shut. And that's what happens. And long story short, in chapter 16, David comes into the court of King Saul. And every time King Saul is overcome with this panic and fear and depression, David plays. And it soothes the very spirit and heart of Saul. So here's David. That's where he finds himself. He's standing face to face with the man that he's now going to take his position somewhere in the future. But David disserves him as if he doesn't know anything about his future. Hmm. That speaks a lot to the character. That kind of character is what's going to help him become a giant slayer. That's the kind of character pieces you've got to be looking for in your life. Are you content with where God has you? Are you content with what God's doing in your life? Or are you always the pipe dreamer, dreaming of something else? Are you always the one spinning your wheels, trying to make something else happen on your own? Or are you content with where God has you until God appoints you for the next thing in life? God's looking for faithfulness of character where he has you before he wants to open up the next door of opportunity, or otherwise it's like a noose around your neck that's going to hang you. So then we jump into chapter 17. Chapter 17, we've got this epic battle that's taking place. We've got the Israelites on one side of the valley of Elah, and we've got the Philistines on the other side. 
And of the Philistines, they've got this man called Goliath, who they say is a champion of war, a champion of battle, who keeps coming down out of their side, down into the valley. And he stands there and he yells up at the Israelites. And he shouts things like this, choose a man and have him come and fight me. Whoever wins will own the other nation, right? This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other to the death. Now, every day they would send this messenger down into the valley, and every day he would shout these things. You would think a good war strategy, right? I'm not a general, but you think a good war strategy would be this. If every day he came down in the morning, which the Bible says he did, if every day he came down in the morning, why don't you just take like 12 guys, go out at night, Get out close to where this messenger stands up and yells these defiling, profane things at the Israelites. And as soon as he gets his mouth open and he starts to say the first word, all 12 of your special forces guys stand up and they just take him down. That sounds like a good war strategy, huh? Yeah, but they didn't do it. You want to know why they didn't do it? Because the man standing in the valley making, the, making these big, profane, defiling statements was no normal man. This man was called Goliath. He was a giant. And on our staff and at our church, we also have a man that's not normal. We have a man that is unlike other men. We have a man that is a manly man. Pastor Ed's going to come up. I want him to help me do something right. Give it up for Pastor Ed. I've asked Pastor Ed to, um, to help us understand the real understanding of what a Goliath was like to, to a man or a person like a David. So I know that you guys that are watching in the gym or watching in North Platter online right now, he's just gone out of your shot. So we're backing the shot out right now, okay? So just give us a moment because we want to do it smoothly. How many of you guys like watching TV where a camera's like, right? You don't want to do that. So we're backing out smoothly, all right? I think we're at the place where we've got him. We're good to go. All right, so you are now in the shot for everyone to see. Now, Pastor Ed, he is six foot three inches tall, and we've got him standing on a platform of exactly three feet. So all of you good mathematicians, that makes him exactly how tall? Nine feet, three inches. The Bible says in chapter 17 about Goliath, that Goliath was slightly over nine feet tall, nine feet, three inches. David, it doesn't say much, but let's just put him as a normal man. I'm five foot, 10 and a half. And I need all that half because as I get older, I've heard that it's going to disappear. So five foot, 10 and a half. Now, so I, I've got to face this guy. Even if I had the sword, I could barely, like, shave you right now, even if I had the sword, much less cause damage to you. And Goliath stood this type of stature, right? Can you picture a man nine foot three inches tall? Just imagine how big his hands are. Imagine how big his feet are, you know? It took a whole lamb probably per foot to make a sandal. Uh, I have no idea. But it did say this about him. It did say this about him in the Bible, that he wore armor on the upper part of his body and a helmet that weighed 125 pounds. That's a lot. Some of you weigh 125 pounds. Some of you used to know what it was like to be 125 pounds. (laughs) All right, so 125 pounds, that's what he wore. He carried this spear with him, the Bible says, that had a tip on it that was 15 pounds. 
And they believed that that spear he could throw with great accuracy because of the way it was designed. If I threw a spear with 15 pounds on the end, it might make it to the end of the stage. That's about how far I would go. And then he had this javelin that was made of bronze that he wore over his shoulder, and he had this sword that he wore. That doesn't even count the weight of all of his leg armor that it talks about. And in front of him, the Bible says, and this is actually somewhat funny, I think, that in front of him would go this man with a shield. Picture the shield, all right? Got it? So here comes a dart from out there, or an arrow. It's going to shoot to his head. There's no way. I'm not even blocking it. The man with the shield was useless. All he wanted everyone to know was that I don't need that guy with the shield. I don't need that kind of stuff. I'm tough enough without that. Every day, twice a day in the morning and the evening, he would walk down into the valley, and he would say these profane, defiling things to the Israelites and about their God. And every day that it happened, the Bible says that the king, Saul, he would run in fear. He would shake in fear, the king would, and that the men that unfortunately that night got night watch closest to where Goliath would come out, they would literally, the Bible says, turn and run back into their army. People were literally scared until one day when a young man named David showed up on the battlefield. Thank you. You make a good Goliath, by the way. You got any closing words? Okay. Thanks. I just wanted you to kind of get a good picture of what you were really facing at that moment. David shows up. Goliath has been doing this for 40 days in a row, guys. David shows up and goes, what in the world? What's going on? Why are you, what's this guy down there? Why is he saying these defiling things about us and about our God? What, how come no one's ever done anything? Are you guys seriously going to stand around the whole army, my brothers and all of you guys and the king? Are you guys just going to let him keep doing this? How long has he been doing it? 40 days? I can't believe this. That would never work with me and my sheep. I would never let a lion come around my sheep for that long. I'd take him out. Well, that message gets to the king, King Saul. Saul pulls David into his tent, and he goes, hey, what's up? What's going on? And David says, I want you to know right now, don't worry about that giant. I'll take care of him. And you can imagine what Saul says to a teenager. He goes, are you crazy? Are you ridiculous? Have you lost your mind? You're just a boy. I'm not going to send some boy down to this to be, you know, the next sacrifice for that Goliath. And David takes him kind of almost by the ears, if you will, from a conversational perspective. And he says to him, you know what? I don't think you understand who I am. And at that moment, he could have said, I'm anointed as king. But instead, he goes a whole different direction. And he says, I've killed lions and I've killed bears with my own bare hands. And I have clubbed them even to death. He goes on to say this in chapter 17, verse 36 and 37. He goes, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, all right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. That brings us really to essential truth. Number one, And that is, God can kill your giants. God can kill your giants. David said these powerful words, that the Lord rescued me. David knew that the Lord was the one who worked on his behalf. 
David knew that it was the Lord who had killed the, killed the, 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 the lions, had killed the bears when they had come against his very thing that he was supposed to protect, his sheep. And now he's standing there and he's staring this giant in the face who's coming against a nation of which in his heart he knows he's going to be the king of. And he goes, I'm not going to let that, that Goliath, that lion or that bear come against, my, come against the people. I'm going to do something about that. And I know that the Lord rescued me in the past and the Lord will rescue me again in the future. And then he even goes on and he says that he defied the armies of the living God. Notice this. Saul's not the one that noticed what Goliath was saying as a defilement of the living God, nor did the people. The people were just in fear. David shows up and recognizes that this statement coming off this battlefield is a defilement to our God. David knew that when you defile God, you battle against God. I might be the one that God's called, but your battle's not against me. Your battle's against God. And today, what you need to remember is this. The giants that you face, you've got to go back and remember. Has God delivered you from any other giants that might look like the bears and the lions? Has God worked on your behalf in your past? Because if he has, no matter what the giant is today, I don't care what the name is, I don't care how big he is, I don't care how long he's been around, if God has rescued you from the past, God can rescue you again in the future. The other thing you need to realize is that this giant was defying God and and, and bringing a defilement against God's people. And God's people were held in captive for 40 days, running in fear, sitting on the mountain, not expanding the kingdom of Israel, not even protecting it, waiting to get ran over. And when you and me allow our giants to defile us by staying in our lives and sticking around in our lives. They sit us on the sideline. They put us up on the bench, and we get out of the game. We're just trying to survive. The Israelites were out there just trying to survive, guys. They weren't really protecting Israel. They were just wondering what's going to happen when Goliath decides to charge us someday. And when that happens, then, man, you, you know, you're, you're just looking out for yourself, We aren't supposed to live life looking out just for us. We're supposed to be living life, growing in the wisdom and the knowledge and the grace and the the gentleness of God so that we can go out and help others slay their giants. But if you let your giant stay in your heart, you let your giant stay in front of your eyes, then it's defiling God's man and God's woman from being who God called them to be. There's all different kinds of giants, finances, addictions. We mentioned some of them earlier. But your time schedule can be, in a, can be a giant. If your time and your schedule is, you know, dictating to you things that are drifting you away from God's heart, grab a hold of that thing. Put church back on your schedule. Open up your iPhone. I, 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 you always can use your, your smartphones at New Life. Get, get on the free Wi-Fi. Track along with us. Do whatever you need to do. But if you need to, you get on there right now, and you go to Sunday, and you set Sunday as a, as a weekly appointment for you and God. You go on, and you set your life group as a weekly appointment for you and God. If you need to, go on to your smartphone and pull up your app and your calendar app and put on there. You know, I'm going to read the Bible at this time every single day or three times a week, or this is the times I'm going to pray, and just stick it in there. Let a reminder. Don't let your time get away from you honoring God. Other giants, like your finances, if all of your finances are spent on you, then you're defiling you. Because not all your finances are supposed to be spent on you. 
God asked for a tithe. He asked for a tenth. He goes, you honor me with your finances, and then I will honor you with the 90% that will go far and beyond anything you ever imagined it could do. And so if we're not honoring God with our finances, then listen, I'm not the guy trying to be the bad guy. I'm just the guy telling you what the, what the truth is. Then you're bringing the defilement upon yourself, and you're putting yourself on the sideline, and God's asking you to get into the game. So those are two quick examples. You've got your own that are racing around in your head, and I'm telling you today, God knows how, and he's got the plan to kill your giant. But you and me are going to have to remember what he's done in the past and recognize that any attack that's coming against you, that's putting you on the sideline, is defiling you from being the man or the woman, walking in the freedom, the grace, and the love of God so we can love the world and help others know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. That's what God's called us to do. So never, ever forget what God's done in your past because they are essential building blocks, a foundation that God's building in your life so he can do amazing things in your future. Getting back to the story, though, in 17, verse 38 and 39, says, Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail, or a coat of you know, armor he put on him. David put it on, he strapped the sword over it, and he took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. David said, I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Second essential truth, second building block is this. Man's plans don't kill giants. Saul says to him in verse 38, Saul gave David his own armor. It was logical for David to wear that armor. It was logical for David to take the, spe- or take the sword from him. It's logical. And when you are facing giants, you're going to find a lot of people are going to give you logical advice on how you should face that giant in your life. Good, well-meaning people. A lot of people are going to have ideas for you of what you should do to defeat that giant. They're going to tell you to read this book or do this thing or go see this person or, you know, whatever. They're going to have a whole list of things for you to do. But what you need to realize is that what's more important is putting your faith and your hope in God. God's solution trumps anything that man would ever bring to you. Now, there are a lot of godly people around, and I would encourage you, seek godly counsel. Godly counsel, but godly counsel should confirm to you what the Holy Spirit's saying to your heart. Just what one man says shouldn't be the ammunition for you that causes you to go out and try to slay the giant. One man's opinion is going to get you killed. That's what one man's opinion is going to do. One man's opinion is going to cause you to find defeat after defeat after defeat. Where you're going to find the victory is when you're seeking God's Spirit on your own, or you get a couple people that are praying with you. These are not people giving you advice. These are people praying with you, helping you to seek God's heart. They're the kind of people that would ask you questions about what God's saying in your life. They're the kind of people that care enough about you that they don't want you to, you know, run off and do something crazy. But they're the kind of people that want you to find God's heart on your own so that you can take the steps so that you can own it. Because if you're going to go slay the giant like David did, he stood there on his own. There was no one else with him. You know what happens when all you do is get advice from others and you try to follow it out? When you face the giant and you turn over your shoulder and you go, hey, what do you think? And they're not there. Now what do you do? You normally hightail it and run. That's what you normally do. And you never fully address your giant. Ownership comes 
And the slaying of the giant comes when you have heard God's voice. And then it gets confirmed through the counsel of wise men and women who know God's heart and will say to you, help you discern, did I hear God's voice or did I not hear God's voice? Verse 39, dealing with man's plans, don't kill giants. David said, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. David had not proven that that armor would slay giants. But David did know and it had been proven that God was faithful. And David went with what had been proven, that God was faithful. He's faithful to follow through when he sent him. He was faithful with provision. He was faithful with timing. And that's what David put his hope in. David valued God's plan and his idea over man's. Man's plan, put on the armor and the sword. What was God's plan? Go down to the brook, David. Kneel down, and I'm going to show you five stones. Pick up the stones. Five stones over a sword. Man's plans don't kill giants. God's plan does. If you listen to My Bridge Radio, you heard a devotional that I did for last week. I was talking about man's plans versus God's plans. And I was talking about, in 90 seconds, I I actually shared this devotional. Wouldn't it be nice if I did a sermon in 90 seconds? Okay, don't say anything. Seriously. All right, just let it go. It's your moment. David had his moments, remember? Kept him close to his heart. Keep it close to your heart. Build good character. Um, but I was talking about how I wanted to be a youth pastor for the rest of my life. And I loved that. And I could never see myself being a senior pastor. Why would I, why would I want to ever put myself into that kind of torturous position? And, but that wasn't, that wasn't um, you know, that, that was God's plan to put me in this position. My plan, man's plan, was to keep me out of this position. But experiencing it in Omaha and a campus pastor type of, or excuse me, a co-pastoring role and then coming here and becoming the, the lead pastor, I look back at that giant and I go, why did that giant seem so big? That giant really is nothing. Why? Because when it's God's timing, God's provision, and God's plan, giants get slain. And when it's man's plan, man looks at it and goes, that seems daunting. I don't think I want to go there. And in your life, If you keep trying to follow man's plan, the giant's going to look nine feet tall. He actually could look ten times greater than that if you've been defeated over and over again. Anytime the giant defeats you, he grows in his strength, authority, and seemingly power. But the higher the giant gets, then that just means the harder they fall. And God's got a plan to kill your giant today. But you're going to have to put your faith and your trust completely in him. Getting back to the story, David, just to wrap up this message, David goes down to the brook. He gets five stones. They're about two to three inches in diameter. They're going to fly perfect out of his sling. The whole works. He packs those things up, and he starts out towards Goliath. One of the things I love about David, man, is that he starts out towards Goliath before he allows Goliath in the evening to come back out or in the morning to come back out and to make his audacious statements again. Before the giant starts speaking, before he watches them come out, David goes down into the valley and gets ready for battle. And when the, the Bible says that when Goliath saw David, Goliath is the one that started coming out. And when he got close enough to see that David was just a young boy, he's like, you send me a boy to fight? You guys are crazy. And what is this? Am I a dog, he says, that you would send a boy to fight me with a stick? Because all you could see was David's shepherd's staff. He couldn't see that David had picked up stones or that he even had a sling. 
And then, then Goliath says to David, you know what, boy? This is what I'm going to do to you today. I'm going to slaughter you, and I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds and to the wild beasts. Now, these are the types of words that's caused the army to run and the king to shake in his boots with fear. What do you think David does? Anybody got any kind of crazy ideas of what he might have done? Let me tell you what he says. Immediately, without hesitation. You come to me, Goliath, with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I will cut off your head. Brutal. I got it. All right? And then I'll give you the dead body. Then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and to the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and with spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Oh, man, that's the kind of attitude we've got to have when we're facing your giant. David says four critical, massive things about the Lord. First, he says, you know what? I come in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. You just need to realize that you come against your giants in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that the the power of the Holy Spirit lives inside of the believer. God's Spirit, the Spirit of heaven's army, is living inside of you. Now, can any giant be conquered? Yes. Why? Because the commander of the heaven's armies lives in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Come on. That's the truth. That's the power of it. Then David says to him, the Lord will conquer you. And he says to him, the Lord rescues his people. David, in both of those statements, is letting Goliath know, you need to know today, I'm just the messenger. God's the one who's going to destroy you. You need to know today, God is the one that wants to work on your behalf. He's the one that wants to rescue you. He's the one that wants to destroy the enemies that are in front of you. And if Goliath didn't get it, which if he's that tall and he's that big and his brain's that big, then, you know, it takes a long time for thoughts to get from point A to point B. He's been in a lot of battles. David just clearly says, this, Goliath, is the Lord's battle. Today, guys, your giants, whatever you're facing that's keeping you from being the man or the woman God wants you to be, you need to know. God's the one who wants to battle on your behalf. God's looking for someone with pure faith that would just kneel down before him and stare into the brook of stones and go, God, what stone do you want me to pick up to face this battle today? Instead of just getting the advice from everyone that's around us today, God's looking for people like we say here that the altars are for the hungry that would come and kneel down and go, God, what stone do you want me to pick up today so I can march into battle? Because the third and final stone, and if I could break this block to help drive home this essential truth more, I would do it, is that faith without actions never kills giants. So you can sit in church all day long. You can do your churchy thing all week long. But faith without actions never kills giants. So what's your action today? Your action is this. First, Believe that God can kill the giant that's standing between you and what God has planned and purpose for your life. 
that thing that's keeping you in bondage, keeping you just living in survival mode where you can't get out in the community and boldly proclaim that Jesus loves people, where you can get out there and boldly love people, believe that God can kill that. And secondly, surrender to God today. Surrender to him. David, David surrendered to him in multiple different ways by going after God's plan. But I, I think the ultimate act of surrender was when David kneeled down by that brook and all the men of the battle were behind him. And there was this brook and this, this low land that stood between him and the enemy. And he stopped for a moment and he picked up those stones. I can almost see David staring into that brook looking at hundreds, if not thousands of stones and asking God, God, which one, which ones do you want me to pick up? Stop for a moment. God, which, which, which stone is the stone for today's battle? God, you, you used that club that day. Is that what you want me to use on Goliath? He looks like a pretty big dude. I don't even think I can even reach his head. What stone do you want to use? Okay, we'll pick up that one. And then this one. And that truth, and this essential truth, God, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take these stones. And he puts them into his satchel. And he starts out. One of the verses that I love, I love about David was that after he got done saying that big, audacious statement in verse 48, he said, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Today, I'm going to give you a moment to run out and meet your giant. I'm going to give you the opportunity. Our worship team's going to come. We're going we're gonna to take some time to sing, take some time to pray. It's your turn to run after your giant. It's your turn to come to an altar like this and kneel down and just go, God, show me the stones I need before I take on this giant. God, give me the game plan that I need because, God, you kill giants. Man's plan doesn't, but I need action so that the giant can be killed. God, lead and guide me. It's David and Goliath. It's no children's tale. It's a true story that gives you and me wisdom from God's word to tackle our giants so that we can be the warriors God's called us to be, to love this world to Jesus more than ever before. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that your word that we're reading happened thousands of years ago, but yet there's still powerful truth in it for us today. So God, I just pray for this congregation and those that are hearing me in North Platte and down in the gym, that Lord, today, Lord, we would be people that trust you. We'd be people that obey you. We would recognize that the altars at New Life, no matter what auditorium you're in, that the altars in the front are for the hungry to come. And these altars almost represent the brook with the stones that are in it. And we're going to come and kneel down at an altar like that. And we're going to seek you, God, for the solution so that the giants we face might be destroyed. God, I pray for this church that as we respond to you over these next few moments, we would truly hear your heart. We would sense your spirit beating inside of us. The God of heaven's armies will be beating on the inside of us. God, reminding us that you are for us, you are not against us. That, Lord, you desperately want to destroy the giants that impede our motion towards you that they hold us captive from being your people in our community to see our world come to know jesus thank you thank you god that you slayed the giant of sin on our behalf that we might have a relationship with you 
May we trust you today to slay our giants. In Jesus' name, amen.